Welcome to the Football Ramble. The race for the top four is heating up and Moisey's feeling the burn. It's Tuesday the 16th of February. I'm Jules Breach. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Jim Campbell. Now, I hate to start today's ramble on a bit of a negative foot, but Jim, I am disappointed in you. You have shaved (laughs) off your facial hair that I was really looking forward to staring at for the next 45 minutes. Yeah, I'm sorry, Jules. I just I I think I should probably make a public statement on this. I just (laughs) felt like and you looked like a pervert. It was was a lot of pressure being a (laughs) moustache guy. And I think what I'm going to do is from now on, I'm going to have a moustache one day of every year. And on that day, I'm going to feel like a king. It's fun being a moustache guy. It's like a constant party. People respect you. You look, you feel like you're from a different decade. You can wear anything and it, and it goes with it. But I feel like if you leave it for too long, then your moustache will become your entire personality. So, mm. yeah, I mean, I'll try and time it so that you get to see it next year, Jules. Please. But Jim, did you, not, did you not feel that at a time like this, a country needs a leader, yes. a leader with moral fibre. <laughs> do, do you not feel that you've let Britain down? Uh, no more than usual, but yes. <laughs> it's certainly a conversation starter, Jim. I think it suited you. You went from Andre Villas Boash with the full ginger beard to mm. a pervy looking Miami cop. Um, <laughs> pervy. <laughs> and now, now you're just back to normal Jim. I do like normal Jim, though. Yeah, well, that's. Yeah, that's I think I would hope that that is. I hope normal Jim is an improvement on pervy looking cop. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? Because it depends who you ask. Well, last week I discovered from Luke and Vish that you are the hunk of the ramble. I don't know how Andy Brassel feels about this. Apparently so. (laughs) Well, some would say Jamie Redknapp endorsed hunk of the ramble. Is is that correct? I think Jamie Redknapp was very much tricked into saying that, but I'll still take it. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Gotta take it. Um, I'd like to see you grow a tash like that, Brass. I'd, it'd be too bristly. <laughs> uh, you see, it would be very much the Village Boas Tash, I think. Because you know, you know when you see Village Boas after he's had a couple of rough days and they've had a couple of bad results? Well, obviously mm. not anymore now he's, now he's left. Um, it kind of looks like he's he's wearing sandpaper on his face. <laughs> yeah. That, that's, voice, that's where I'm at. His voice is like that as well. It sounds like he's <laughs> been drinking for days, doesn't he? <laughs> Bristly brass. I'd still like to see it. Um, All right, let's talk about last night's football. A couple of Premier League games. Chelsea beating Newcastle 2-0. Let's start there because it was a bit of redemption for Timo Werner. Wasn't that nice to see? He took took a bit of a battering before he scored the goal. He was bleeding from the mouth, took a few whacks to the face. And I don't know if you saw, but it, but when he actually finally scored, there was a slight panic that he was like, it definitely went over the line. I promise you it went over the line. Tell me it went over the line. It did go over the line, Timo. You got your first goal in a thousand Premier League minutes. What a relief, Jim. Yeah, and it's a hundred days as well. It seems almost biblical, doesn't it? A hundred days in a thousand minutes. Like a hundred <laughs> days without a goal for someone like Timo Werner. He's like a hundred days without water for the rest of us. He just, he yeah. was so determined to score last night. If that one hadn't gone in, then he'd have picked the ball up and just ran it over the line like the bloke <laughs> that invented rugby. 
the, the thing is, he's not capable of growing a 40 days in the wilderness beard, unlike <laughs> you, Jim. So we didn't get the full feeling of that. But I don't know if this was like a little bit overdramatic. I mean, a lot of people have talked about his, his post-match interview where despite Jeff Shreve's, like, not not just inviting him, but begging him to pour his heart out about the torture of he not was, scoring. He was, wasn't he? He was really yeah. pushing for it. Yeah, and he was like, well... You know, it's about the team, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I knew it'd happen. <laughs> he was all very calm about it in very measured English, wasn't he? And yeah, um, I just kind of felt that in that time that Timo Werner was scoring, it's not like he wasn't getting in the spot. It's not like he wasn't playing well. It's not like he was contributing nothing to the team. So it it did feel a bit of a manufactured panic, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean he was he was excellent all round, wasn't he? I mean Giroud's goal doesn't happen without his work, mm. and. Um, yeah, it's, as you say, he's been, he's been. It's not like he's not been assisting other players. It's not like it's not like one of those Shevchenko or Torres situations at Chelsea where they've been kind of like really kind of disappointing across the board. And I think we all know the goals are going to come. Yeah, but it's, it's it's good. It's good to see. I mean, is it as simple as the fact that his coach speaks German now? I don't think <laughs> it is. Is it Andy? <laughs> well, well they're speaking excellent English together well, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I think that's pretty clear I think uh, we've we kind of touched on this before but I, I think it's worth mentioning that Timo Werner's actually quite tough because he's like sort of not six foot two and stacked and he's, he's fairly softly spoken I think people assume a lot about him but um you know, he was thrown in the deep end at Stuttgart when he was, he was a teenager. He was their, their youngest ever first teamer. And then at Leipzig, he got a lot of stick, A, for leaving Stuttgart, B, for joining Leipzig. Um, he's perceived as a diver. Like, fans gave him a lot of shit in Germany. And he just got on with it. You know, he's he's never really complained about... Like, and some of the abuse that he received while he was in Germany was really quite nasty and, and, and personal from from some fans. So I think the idea that him not scoring for a couple of games was gonna sort of you know push him over the edge was always a little bit far-fetched but it is nice to to see him score because when he goes on a tear he is quite irresistible obviously not great news if you're a one a fan of one of Chelsea's rivals but I I, I think he's gonna start scoring he, pretty um, from he was my prediction for the golden boot winner at the start of the season still time <laughs> Timo still time <laughs> you can catch Mo Salah um but what about Kepper starting last night. I think when the team sheet came out, I did wonder after last week's game in the FA Cup whether whether or not he would get another start and whether maybe Tuchel would change things up. He obviously played the game, kept a clean sheet. And then in the post-match interview, Tuchel basically was just like, you've had your time. Mendy's back for the next game and I thought oh bless Kepper he's just gone and kept a clean sheet in two games yeah. in a row and mm. he thinks he's probably getting a run back in the team but um no luck Kepper unfortunately I think that's fairly good management from Tuchel though isn't it because from his point of view he will have his his goalkeeper that he, he knows is his number one but he needs his backup keeper to be confident as well and to be you know in in decent form and by kind of playing him and giving him this kind of confidence now rather than like calling up Peter Check or whatever people were suggesting <laughs> before and actually like publicly backing him um he's maybe hopefully reset him to put himself in a position where he can actually fight for his place and who knows i mean Kepa's surely you know, not regularly going to be as bad as we've seen him at his worst. He was fantastic when he came in for Chelsea. And I think clearly he's a goalkeeper affected by confidence quite a lot. And he's a young man as well. So that's something he is likely to overcome as he gets older. And hopefully Tuga will have helped him do that. 
I do wonder if part of it was we're playing Newcastle United. I think we're pretty safe yeah. giving him a go. Um, I mean, you know how managers and head coaches try and squeeze an extra attacking player in against weak opposition. Normally, that's like putting a winger at right back. It's not just like, you know, shoving in a goalkeeper who can be a sweeper. He did end up making a terrific save in the end, didn't he, from from Joe Willock. And he looked ever, ever yes. so pleased with himself at the end, and quite <laughs> rightly so. You know what, though? Defensively, since Tuchel's come in, Andy, they've been really impressive in terms of keeping mm. out all of the opposition they've played against. They've only conceded one goal in, is it six games he's been in charge now in all competitions? That's seriously impressive. And and, and obviously he's had to change things quite a bit, bringing Marcus Alonso back into the team, which I know the first start Alonso got, there were a few fans sort of like, Alonso can't defend, what's he doing back in the team? But he offers so much more than that, doesn't he? And, and we've already seen in the few games that Tuchel's been in charge, just how much he's changed around the way Chelsea play and, and they just look so much more solid particularly defensively there's a plan isn't yeah. there and I, I think three at the back totally suits Alonso because he's far away from that in, in yeah. most occasions and he's, he's doing what he does best but I think you're right Jules what's interesting in terms of the structure of the team is you know they've been lacking Thiago Silva as well who you would assume would be the man who held it all together. Now, it seemed to me that earlier in the season, when Chelsea did go through that spell of better defending in autumn, it did seem to all be hung on Thiago Silva. And someone who is still an incredible player, but at an advanced stage of his career and has got a history of muscle injuries, that, that's not a plan. You, you can't do that. You know, he mm. is going to get injured at some point, particularly in a, in a first season in, in, in the Premier League. So I always thought that, the part of the value of Thiago Silva would be that Chelsea have quite a lot of, well, quite a few defenders who are, I think should be a little bit further along than they are. I think Christensen is a very good example of that. Someone who showed enormous potential when he was at Gladbach and has never quite done it with Chelsea. But, you know, are you ready to to write him off? I, th- I think the idea of like, and it kind of comes from early Lampard, I suppose, really. The idea of actually coaching players rather than saying in, in, in the first five minutes you're good enough or you're not good enough. Actually working with players, I think, is, is pretty useful. And we, we can see, I think, there are lots of individual players um, like Christensen and, and like Hudson-Odoi, who's obviously a lot more ready to receive the opportunity, who are, are benefiting from... Uh, the faith of the, the, the manager, it seems, a, li- a little bit more detailed coaching as well. Yeah, he's been bloody brilliant, Hudson-Odoi, Jim, since he's come in. I think he's he's really impressed me. Um, in terms of Newcastle, though, oh, they're, they've really been dragged back into this. I don't think their yeah. fans ever really thought they were out of the relegation fight, to be fair. But with Fulham winning at the weekend and knowing that Newcastle had Chelsea next, so obviously last night, and then... Uh, is it Man United, I think, that Newcastle have got this weekend? So a couple of really tough games and Fulham's games looking winnable. That gap is getting ever so so closer and, and Newcastle fans must be feeling the nerves a little bit now. And Steve Bruce, before the game, insisted that nothing about their approach would change with Callum Wilson out injured. I mean, it did, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> Did we even really get a chance to see their approach? I don't think Chelsea really let them kind of try it, did they, realistically? But yeah, I mean, 
Wilson is such a huge loss. It can't be understated, really, can it? Because we don't need to imagine what it's like because we saw what it was like last season. I mean, is it three goals in 55 appearances for Joe Linton? Uh, some, something like that, something uh, something comparable to that, at least, if that's not exactly right, in his time at Newcastle. And he's just, you know, he's not going to get you goals. Andy Carroll is very unlikely to get you a significant number of goals, at, at, you know, at the situation he's in. Um, so... It, it, it's it's really devastating for Newcastle to lose him because you, you wonder where they're gonna where, where they're gonna pick up goals from and I mean they are being linked to Daniel Sturridge right and that I seems like the sort that, of thing yeah. that might make you kind of stroke your chin or even laugh a little bit but it I mean if if Wilson's out for two months they've got to try something haven't they and if yeah. they can get a recognised striker and it might be worth the punt yeah I think I think that's right um, I think they do have to try something Jim and it's it's funny when uh, Jules talked about. Um, you talked about like you know, maybe their fans never thought they were completely out of it. I, th- I think that's that's probably right because the gap in itself is not the issue. I think even with Fulham having a game in hand, in most situations you would feel pretty safe. Mm. But I think if one of us were to say now, and like not even thinking about the lineup of teams that they've got to face in the next couple of weeks, because Newcastle are capable of going on one of those dire runs one of us were to say, right, they're going to pick up one point in the next month. I don't think anyone would be particularly surprised by that. That's the, that's the real concern, isn't it? Yeah. And I think, I think also it's, it's going into games against Newcastle now without Callum Wilson, that gives the opposition just a huge boost because they know that really he's the only one in that team. That's, that's really going to provide, provide the goals. So mm. yeah, it's um it's a difficult time for Newcastle. We'll see what happens. Um I did find it very amusing though that apparently Thomas Tuchel was actually approached by Newcastle a few years ago to actually take over as their manager back in 2015. Now Tuchel actually said he had no knowledge of this, but he did say there would have been a chance if he had. Imagine oh. it. Thomas Tuchel, we've missed out on that. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, though, I mean, he wouldn't have been backed, would he? He'd, he'd have probably taken a massive dent to his reputation because he, you know, he, it's a very, very difficult job up there. So he probably dodged a bullet there, didn't he? But, and but I mean, like one him... of those massive Super Mario bullets, like <laughs> absolutely huge, but black and white. But J- Jim, seeing him take on Leonardo at Paris Saint-Germain was exhilarating. Seeing him take on Mike Ashley, I mean, that would have been really, <laughs> yeah, really yeah. interesting. I'd watch that. I'll, I'd definitely I would, pay to watch that. I, I would have loved to see that. But when when it says, I, I know intermediaries are obviously involved, Jules, but when it uh, it said he, he had no knowledge mm-hmm. of Newcastle's approach, do you reckon they asked the wrong person? <laughs> they must have done, because surely, surely you know. <laughs> yeah. It seems weird, that, doesn't it? Yeah. What yeah. are you lying for, Thomas? Yeah, what are you lying for? Um, well, <laughs> Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea actually moved into fourth place in the Premier League uh, with that win last night against Newcastle. I think it's going to be... I, I, I know we're all saying title race is over, you know, Man City are going to win it. Okay, that's fine. But I do think that the race for the top four is going to be so, so interesting because it could go between... I reckon three or four teams could still take that third and fourth place I do think probably Man United and Man City will will get the top two but after that I don't know it's so hard to call Liverpool have now dropped into sixth place West Ham beating Sheffield United last night actually moved them into the top four before Chelsea's win and David Moyes was asked about their European 
hopes after the game. And he said, we've got five games before April. And if we make it to there, it might start hotting up. But it nearly feels uneasy talking like this. David Moyes is feeling the heat, Jim. Yeah, it's a, it's amazing, isn't it? He's trying to sort of, you know, it's you know it's on when people start trying to downplay it. Yeah. It's like Claudio Ranieri and his 40 points thing, but um, Moyes is just, he's let the mask slip a little bit there. So obviously we were talking about the whole ferryman thing and how he's managed to turn his ferry around uh, recently, but I've got a new theory on this, um, which is that Moyes has realised that if he puts more effort into making West Ham good, then they can have a greater influence on relegating other teams and that way he can harvest more souls. <laughs> And that's exactly what was in action yesterday. I mean, Ryan Frederick scored. Yeah, no. It was amazing. I think West Ham have just continued to... I mean, I don't think anyone didn't expect them to beat Sheffield United. But still, in fairness, like the fact they were in the top four yesterday, Andy, it's it's amazing. They nearly got relegated last year and, and they're... They're literally genuine contenders to get a European place. Maybe not Champions League, but if they can hold on and get a Europa League place, that would still be a sensational season. It's, it's remarkable, Jules, and they're kind of muddling through without having a proper centre-forward at the moment as yeah. well. I mean, obviously, Jesse Lingard has, has, has really added something. And I think we saw that from uh, the, the, the run that led to the penalty, which, by the way... I'm trying to work out how Chris Basham didn't get sent off for that because mm. I, I know we talk about double jeopardy, but you have to make a genuine attempt to play the ball. They, now, they presumably... said in the commentary, though, he's made a genuine attempt to play the ball there. And I thought, has he? <laughs> yeah, well, well that, that, that is the question, isn't it? I, I'm, I'm guessing that the referee has given him the benefit of the doubt on the basis of incompetence. That, that yeah, can well, be the well, only possible explanation. Maybe that's it. When a team are playing that badly, you just assume everything they're, they're doing is an attempt at something, but it's just <laughs> not one that you can recognise. They're just that bad. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like saying I went for the ball in that situation is a little bit like sort of being a barman pouring beer all over your feet and going, well, I was trying to get it in the pint glass. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, as a man who spills a lot of things, I can see, I can that makes a lot of sense to me. I can see how that happens. Um, yeah, I think you know, going back to um, West Ham playing out of the playing without a recognised striker, they had sort of um, a combination of Bowen, Lanzini, and, and and Lingard all swapping that around yesterday. And we spoke a lot about Lingard and how clearly he's got some fire in his belly. I don't know, about, I don't know if his head's in the freezer, but we'll, we'll, we'll find out about that another time, I'm sure. But he clearly has a point to prove, doesn't he? He's playing very well. But another added bonus of that. Is that it? Because all the focus is on him, it takes a little bit of pressure off Saeed Ben Rama, who has, has come in with a big reputation and he's clearly a very good player and he's, he's playing well for West Ham. But I think, you know, people are expecting a YouTube player from a, a player with, a, with that much kind of skill and that we maybe haven't quite seen all of that just yet. But it kind of, you know, it's, it's allowing him time to gel. I loved the, um, the penalty moment between Lingard and Declan Rice, where Declan Rice sort of saw the opportunity and thought, no, I'm the captain, I'm taking this penalty. But bless Jesse Lingard, as you say, he has that fire in the belly. He wants to keep scoring goals. After his amazing debut last week, he was like, I want to keep adding to my goal tally. Yeah. And he he wins the penalty. And you can understand that he's like, I've, I've bloody won this. I want to take it. I want to score it. And Declan yeah. just was sort of like, 
no, fuck off. I'm taking this. You step back, <laughs> my son. You've only just come into the club. Step back. And then obviously Declan scores it. But what I did like about Jesse is that he still went and celebrated. There was no real attitude to it. He sort of took it on the chin and was like, all right, fair enough. You're the captain. You take the pen. Yeah. And then they celebrated and it was all good. And and, and that free role and that that sort of, that yeah, that free role in the team that Jesse Lingard has, I think we'll, we'll see the best of him. And I just like the fact that he's he's settled into this team quite well and they all seem to have quite a nice rapport there already in such a short space of time. I mean, you did say how he, he went up and gave Declan Rice a cuddle afterwards and was all smiley. He still might have been saying, you're a twat, I'm <laughs> having the true. next one. <laughs> I, I mean, we, we, we don't know, do we? Although I guess we're the closest to ever finding out seeing as stadiums are empty at the, <laughs> at, 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 at the moment. Um, but... I, th- I think the the way to get that penalty from Declan Rice would have been just to, if you've seen him on social media, sneak up behind him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get, get, Give him, a get him to drop, drop the ball. But I, is, I kind of... Is there a bigger prankster in the league as well? I mean, that, that is <laughs> inevitable, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that, that's right. I, I kind of wonder, though, what you were saying about um, the interchanging between uh, Lanzini and, and, and Lingard and, and, and Bowen. I kind of wonder if... If, if that is something that's good for a coach sometimes. Not running out of strikers, but having players that are sort of a bit counterintuitive to your philosophy. Players that can um, take a, a tactical template and yet have the confidence to, to step out of it and, and do their own thing and interpret it in their own way. Because I think we've, we've gone from one extreme to the other in, in Britain, really. In the, in the, you know, I think if you go back like, 10 years ago, Jonathan Wilson was the only person who really wrote about tactics. And yeah. now uh, writing about tactics and discussing tactics is a whole like subset of football discussion. But we've, we've gone in hard on it. And I kind of feel that it's lost sometimes that um, a tactical system is, is, is just a template. It's still up to the interpretation of the players. And, you know, we, we saw the best bit of that, I think, from a lot of West Ham United's forward play. Yeah, and I'm not saying it's anywhere near the same thing, but we've seen Manchester City play without a striker this season to great effect. Mm. And Mm. it's been the way that they've managed to cope without Sergio Aguero because they have so many players that can play in that sort of system and and play in that sort of free role. And I think that having that versatility in your forward players is obviously key to to coping with injuries. And in this strange season where everyone just seemingly is absolutely shattered so it's definitely helpful being able to to play in that way um Jim how do you feel about Rio Ferdinand tweeting after the West Ham game saying West Ham are the best team in London right now (laughs) uh I would it hurts to say it but um yeah he's probably right isn't he although I would think I think um, Tuchel, Thomas Tuchel will probably have something to say about that sooner or later but right now it's hard to make the argument that they're not Shut up, Rio. Oh, I mean, past. I mean, Jim, you are wearing claret today. Is that a declaration yeah, of the are. changing of the guard? It's, or are you, uh, I, are you no, simply this... harking back to uh, Arsenal's final season at Highbury? That's exactly what I'm doing. It's red current. <laughs> and I'll hear nothing more about it. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, we'll take a break. More ramble to come. Hi, I'm Danny Welbeck and you're listening to the Football Ramble. Welcome back to the Football Ramble. Jules, Jim and Andy here with you today and now it's time for this. Just in the show at footballramble.com 
Yeah, we've got one here from Nathan Gisby. Although I can't confirm this, I think you have influenced my two-year-old son's language. Uh, uh, I, I, I hope Jules it's not me. Influence your two-year-old son's language. <laughs> the sheer panic. <laughs> uh, a few months ago, he started calling all cats Keggy. <laughs> I assume after the great man himself, who he will have heard mentioned on your show when I force him to listen on the drive to nursery, or if I think he's asleep. Just thought you might be proud to know that you are helping shape the younger generation. Either that or I should stop be being stupid as my partner I'm terrified. Says. I'm, I'm going to clean up my act. I've already sworn once today. I'm, no more swearing, Jules. There are children listening. Oh, dear. That is so cute, Aww. though. Isn't Little it? Peggy the I hope cat. that's true. I hope that's why that's happening. Yeah, me too. I, I, don't, I don't think Dr. Dre's ever had one of those moments or Ice Cube, have they? <laughs> well, maybe I should swear less in, ca- in case there's someone under 10 listening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, oh dear. So we've got another uh, another email from the fantastically named Walter Townsend. Yeah, Sounds see, like last, a sort of week, war hero. last week, Jim, Walter emailed in um, and I've, I've had a quick skim of this email mm. he sent in and it's a follow-up. And we didn't believe that Walter Townsend was a real name. But seeing as he's written it twice, I'm, I'm now leaning into believing that it is a real name. <laughs> well, welcome back, Walter. Uh, Walter says, for the second time, after my public confession last week, there are some more things I may, d- may need to get off my chest. Very early on in my commentating days, I took, took up some international football commentary. I was shocked to discover my game was to be the opening match in the South Asian Football Federation Championship between hosts Bangladesh and Bhutan in December 2009. I wasn't aware Bhutan even had a team. That, that is probably not what you're expecting for your first international commentary, is it? <laughs> Preparation was tricky, but at least I had Bhutan's names, which was more than could be said of Bangladesh. After searching around the internet, trying to get hold of locally based football journalists and even contacting the Bangladeshi FA, I managed to locate a listing of the 23-man squad minus numbers. The reason for that became apparent when the two teams came trotting out. Bangladesh were working with numbers 1 to 11 with no names on their shirts. I had no idea who any of them were. (laughs) Oh my God. Bangladesh (laughs) took an early lead and I chanced my arm with their top scoring number 9, who went on to score a hat-trick. With about five minutes left, he was subbed off and the TV company flashed his name up as Enamel Hake. I'd called him Ziad Hossian throughout. <laughs> the, the game wrapped up shortly afterwards and as I packed up my stuff from the booth and departed, a smartly dressed gentleman was waiting outside and asked me, are you Walter? With the misnaming of the player still fresh in my mind, I hesitated, unsure of what to say and realised it was already too late to deny who I was. I decided to take it on the chin and confirmed my identity. He grasped me warmly by the hand, shook it fondly and said... Well done. I just wanted to say well done. I've just got off the phone to the head of the Bangladeshi FA who thoroughly enjoyed your commentary. Very well researched and entertaining. So it turns out the Bangladeshi FA weren't any more the wiser about who was playing for them than I was. (laughs) That is sensational. Amazing. Got away with that. You definitely got away with it. At that point when someone comes up to you and you know you've made made a bit of a rick and they go, are you Walter? I'd have 100 percent Nope, not me. Definitely not me. No idea. That wasn't me doing all that swearing. (laughs) Oh, lovely. Well, keep your emails coming into us. Show at footballramble.com or, of course, you can tweet us at footballramble. All right, let's um, dig a little deeper into some of the other football stories that are around at the moment and um, just refresh you on what the state of play is in the National League at the moment. It's it's actually really quite a concerning time. Um, If you haven't been following it, just to sort of do an overall of what's happened a couple of weeks ago all of the teams in the fifth tier and below so the national league national league north and south had to vote on whether they wanted the season to continue or not 
and the results of this vote are yet to be released. The reason why there was this vote is because there was government grants that were given to all of these clubs at the start of the season and the clubs believed that those grants were going to continue for the entire season but in January when the season resumed after a little bit of a break around Christmas time they were told that those grants were actually no longer going to be grants and they were going to be loans and we know that the financial hit particularly these non-league clubs have taken due to COVID has been huge And so there are a lot of clubs now who are struggling to survive and it's just left such a precarious situation and a fractured and heated situation, Andy, because they can't agree. And it's really difficult because there are some clubs who want to continue with the season, who can afford to or have been able to manage. And then there are other clubs who just simply can't without a grant from the government. And it's, um, it's it's a really difficult time, isn't it? Yeah, it is Jules, and I think probably one of the first things to to, to point out is the National League. It's it's, it's not just uh, tier five in the English game. It's um, the National League North and South, the, the the tier below, where you've got even smaller clubs, um, most of whom are, are, are part time, really struggling to stay afloat while their expenses continue. And you know, it's it's just really the the the, the language used by. Um, the National League has, has been quite confrontational, I think. Um, you know, th- there's been um, a, a lot of uh, talk of uh, sanctions and, 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 and punishment um, and, and disciplinaries for, for teams that have said, we, we can't go on playing. This, this is so unhelpful. I think even when you look at something like, I don't know, the other end of the game, financial fair play, it's always made clear that it's a, it's a dialogue and it doesn't really feel that there's enough dialogue, that there's enough leadership here. And going back to what you were saying, Jules, I think when you look at um, what we probably should have learned from last season and and the, and the first part of the the, the, the pandemic, it's the it, it is really tough. I think a lot of these things could have been foreseen. A lot of uh, chairmen out there and a lot of clubs out there are saying, if we knew this was going to be the case at the start, then we wouldn't even have, have have started this season. So I think really as well, the big thing, and we saw this in the Football League too, is the fact that clubs are being asked to make an individual choice. Yeah. That to me is a terrible idea yeah. because football clubs, not unnaturally and not completely unreasonably, are always going to vote from a position of self-interest rather than a collective position. And and this is this is normal when everyone's fighting for survival. What you need in this situation is a strong leadership panel, a strong board, a strong organization that's going to say, right, this is what we're going to do. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's the idea that even the term disciplinary seems outrageous in this situation. Mm. You know, none of these clubs are in, in financial um, hardship because of their own mismanagement in a situation like this. They're in financial hardship because the world has had to pause. You know, society has had to pause effectively. And if you're a club in, in, in the lower leagues, then we all know that money's tight. And that isn't through the fault of anyone involved in most of the situations. And uh, as you say, Andy, it just seems really, really unhelpful. And like, why have this muddle where... <laughs> Where, where you are inevitably going to have some clubs wanting to do one thing and, and others wanting to do another. It also seems that the help that's been offered has 
not acknowledge the size of the problem. And, you know, I'm sure the clubs are grateful for the help they've had, but if it's not enough, it's not enough. It's as simple as that. Yeah, and I, I think it's, it's one of the things that maybe people are starting to realise now, and I've, I've, I've definitely talked about it on, on here before, that we think of the, the Premier League as our thing to be proud of that people all over the world react to, and that's true to a certain extent. But I find that when you talk to um, people a, a, abroad about, um, about English football, they're like, wow, how is it that you have games that have large numbers of fans and are televised when you get down to level five and six. It's, it's the thing that makes the English game what it is. And, you know, to see so many of these clubs in danger, it's, it's really worrying. You know, it threatens the whole identity mm. of English football and it threatens what makes English football special. And, you know, I think when clubs like Dover and Dulwich Hamlet are, are coming out and saying things like, you know, we, we can't afford as not just responsible businesses, but responsible community assets. We can't afford to continue. And even if we were to get dot points chucked out of the league, we know we're doing the right thing for our community, for the people who work for us. Um, they shouldn't really be having to take these decisions and they sh- shouldn't really be having to face these dilemmas. Yeah, and Dover are just one of the clubs who have put their staff and players on furlough now. So that just goes to show the 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 sort of desperate situation that they find themselves in and, and they're not the only ones. And as you say, Andy, they, that these football clubs are such a big part of English football's identity, but also such a huge part of communities and people mm. rely on their football clubs for so many different things, not just let's go and watch a football match on a Saturday afternoon. You know, it's so much more than that to a lot of these communities. So we will watch and hopefully we'll get some kind of decision on what's going to happen with these leagues in the next couple of weeks. I believe that the results of the resolution are are going to be published imminently. So we'll see how that all unfolds. But in this time where there are football fans who are desperate to know what's going on with their football club, naturally the clubs are going to be putting on Q&As and trying to find out what the fans are thinking right now and how the supporters can also help out. And there was a <laughs> um, there was a Q&A from Chester Football Club and it all descended into a little bit of chaos. Um, I don't know if you saw this, but this was, I'm sorry, it was absolutely hilarious. So if you haven't seen it, Chester Football Club had a Zoom and they were due to have a Q&A with the Supporters Trust. And someone who was a bit naughty decided to play a porn video and shared their screen on the Zoom. And the screen grab that has been shared of this on the internet is absolutely hilarious. The Chester manager, Anthony Johnson, tweeted and said, Let me tell you something. The Hanforth Parish Zoom meeting was absolutely nothing and has nothing on what I've just witnessed on the Chester FC Zoom. Jim, this is absolute gold, isn't it? It's brilliant. Yeah, I mean, it was it was always going to happen when they kind of left it open to the public because a, a lot of the reports are saying that it was hacked. It's like, it wasn't hacked. <laughs> like, you you really do not need to be some sort of computer genius to uh, to have done this. Uh, someone's just shared their screen and it is... Check out the screen grab. The, there is a, a whole range of emotions going on on those faces. <laughs> it's, it's It's brilliant. Some of them look horrified. Some of them look... The opposite of horrified, shall we say. They're, Some of them look like they're quite time. enjoying it, aren't they? Yeah. 
some of them have forgotten where they are slightly. Like, oh, hello. She looks nice. Who's she? Like, they haven't quite understood what's going on. But isn't this what football's all about? You know, bringing together a crowd of people from uh, different age groups, uh, different mindsets, and that variety of reactions you would get <laughs> is uh, what makes it special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're so right. There's one guy who literally has his head in his hands. He's like, what is going on here? There's other people that are like, you know, scratching their chins, like, hmm, what's this I see here? I've never seen porn before. (laughs) (laughs) Also, there's a guy that appears to be laying down. So make of that what you will. Oh, God, don't. (laughs) I don't want to know. But yeah, very, very amusing um, that was. Um, And also we have to talk about Wrexham because amongst all of this financial chaos and all of this um, trouble that's happening with National League clubs, you then have the total other end of the spectrum where Wrexham have finally been bought over by Hollywood superstars Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney. And the deal has finally gone through and they've got £2 million, I think, worth of money gone straight into the club that they're going to, they say they're going to invest wisely. It's not just going on players. It's going to, you know, be used around the football club in ways that can help them in terms of their longevity to survive. So at least there's some good news in the National League, Andy, with, with this finally going through. Yeah, and what I've really liked early on is their communication with the supporters. I mean, clearly they bring a certain glamour with them and we should hope as well as reimbursing wages, there's some sort of high-spec gin making its way to the players as well um, because that's one of the other things that they they work on, isn't it? But it's not been outlandish. I think they've made an effort to uh, connect with the community uh, to find some common ground and that's really really important I, I think the last thing that people want even if it is quite glamorous is people coming in who, who just don't have any willingness to learn about the community and the traditions of the club and they seem to have been the exact opposite even down to the point where Ryan and Rob have put a silent yes, W before their name on, uh, on, on their Twitter names <laughs> I love that Yeah, they're cute. nailing the PR aren't they yeah, mm. they're doing it really well. They, they, it's very, they're very likable, and I, 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 it must be a little difficult for fans of other clubs down there to see this happening at the moment. But I think you know, it's, it's broadly at the moment, it seems like a very, very good thing, and let's let's hope that's the case. Well, well, maybe Jim, it would encourage other people to invest because if you think about it now, mm. if you're even someone quite rich, you know, you need to be like state or royalty level of rich to invest and make a difference in say a premier league club whereas the sort of guys like i I don't know even like jack walker level of guys there could never be another jack walker could there because someone who was a a local businessman made good couldn't come into a premier league club and inject a a difference making amount of money but you could do that with a league two or a a national league or a national league north or south team yeah so we might get more actors doing that. We have a weird situation where you have <clears throat> you have people like Matthew Flamini who've been footballers becoming sort of Iron Man style superheroes <laughs> and actors who play superheroes getting involved in football clubs. Yeah. And I'm frankly all for it. <laughs> I'm all for it too. I had such a crush on Ryan Reynolds when he was in Two Guys and a Girl. I was like obsessed with him. I never would have foreseen that he would one day own Wrexham Football Club, but there you have it. There you have it. Um, um, all right, let's talk about David Louise, Jim. Um, yesterday, no. oh, sorry. Yesterday, I saw a few Arsenal fans tweeting about um, him supposedly being offered his second extension on his contract. Apparently, Arteta values 
the impact that he's having on the young players in the side. What do you reckon of this? Yeah, I think there's always a lot to be said for that. It's always quite headline grabbing, isn't it? Because David Luiz does have ricks in him. It's like he's probably got three or four bad ones a season. If you could choose when they were, he'd be probably the best defender in the league almost. It's like, right, OK, we're 4-0 up. It's got 10 minutes to go. Let's have a Louise. Let him give away a penalty and get sent off or something. We can we can swallow it now. But uh, obviously it doesn't work like that. But yeah, he. I, I mean, the same is said about Granite Xhaka as well. Apparently they're both really, really good in the dressing room. And I, mm. I, 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 I think what it really smacks of is that Arsenal don't have much money and it's probably cheaper to have another year of Louise than it is to go and buy someone else. But yeah, I think, you know, he's David Louise. We know what you get from him. He plays really, really well in a three but we don't seem to be doing that very often now. So I think that's probably exposing him a little bit more. Um, but perhaps we'll go back to that at some point. But I don't know. It's um, it's, uh, it's another year of Arsenal, Arsenaling things, isn't it? You just know it. You just know it. This is, you get rid of the Mustafi, um, but the Louise is still there. You forget. That's the crucial thing. You forget about the Louise. I heard reports a couple of months ago that Arteta and David Louise didn't even really speak directly to each other. So... I, I, yeah. I don't know whether how true that was. It's probably all bollocks, but... but that that could mean anything, though, couldn't it? They could be slipping loving notes under each <laughs> other's hotel room doors. On it's WhatsApp confusing. constantly, but exactly. just never face-to-face. <laughs> um, all right, let's talk about Champions League, which returns tonight and tomorrow. Um, God, it feels like this has been a long time coming, Andy, doesn't it? But it is back, and we've got a couple of games tonight to look forward to, some Big ones as well. Barcelona, PSG and Leipzig against Liverpool, which is going to be played in Budapest. I'm still getting my head around the whole change of locations for all Mm. of these games. Um, You looking forward to it, Andy? Yeah, a lot. And um, I think what's so brilliant about the last 16 of the Champions League is that the tie that you think, the tie that's coming out of the hat in December is totally different to the tie that actually happens in February. I think you look at that with, with both of these. I would have said Liverpool were really strong favourites going into this when the draw was made. But Leipzig have, have, have been pretty steady recently. Obviously, there's been a lot of fuss about um, Dio Pumacano, um signing for, for, for Bayern. And it, it must have been really quite annoying for for Leipzig because and everyone else Bayern, who wanted him <laughs> well well yeah that obviously but I, I meant more the manner of the announcement the fact that Bayern came out and made the announcement at midday on Valentine's Day happy Valentine's Day Leipzig and you know the, the Leipzig would be like well we're preparing for a Champions League game I mean I, I guess there's a theory that now it's out in the open everyone can just get on with it but they're prepared perfectly they won four games in a row um, he gave a little rest Nagel's man to um, both Upamecano and Marcel Zabitzer who's so brilliant against Spurs last year um, and, and so they feel ready and all of a sudden Bayern go hey it's all about us it's all yeah. about us let's be honest this is the team that plays the can-can when they score, they are, <laughs> they're just being shit and they love for it. A, for an inappropriately long time as well. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. It's the smuggest thing in all football. Yes. <laughs> and um, what chance do you give PSG against Barcelona without Neymar in the side, who obviously got injured in a cup game that, let's face it, he didn't really need to play in, Andy. And I mean, both teams aren't really in the best shape going into this, are they? No, not really. And again, I would have had Paris as really heavy favourites when the, the draw was made. But Barcelona have actually played quite well um, this, this calendar year. 
I still don't really believe in their ability to beat anyone who's any good, um, which was kind of reinforced by the fact that they lost the first leg of the Copper semi-final to Sevilla last week. Um, and, and just their, their defence, I think, is going to stop them winning anything. Although Gerard Piquet is is back for this, which is, is, is quite surprising. I'm not sure if facing Kylian Mbappe in your first game back is absolutely ideal. And they may no. be forced to kind of shove him in because they're uh, a, a little bit short. So we'll, we'll see what we'll see what happens. But yeah, the the, the Neymar thing's obviously infuriating for for, for Paris Saint Germain. I mean, it's now three years out of the four that he's been there that he's missed at least one of the Champions League last sixteen times, which is the whole reason yeah. that they bought yeah. him in the first place. Or well, they didn't they didn't buy him to score a, a hat trick against Dijon or whatever, did they? Neymar's no. response to to his injury last week, he said the sadness is huge, the pain is immense, and the weeping is constant. Ugh. Constant. God. That's not going to help. You're going to dehydrate yourself, Neymar. That's not going to help you rehabilitate, is it? You're going to cry out all your salt. Don't do that. After saying that he would never, ever stop partying, it sounds like right now he's not partying, is he, Jim? Yeah. Either that or he's been part- partying too hard and he's got the fear. Um, he must get that bad. He might like really bad. Like, you know, you've had a bit too much to drink the night before. Obviously, Andy, you don't drink, so you'll have to take take our word for it. And you feel like, you know, when it's really bad, you feel like you've let your mum down. Oh, yeah. Like, like yeah, yeah, yeah. if you're Neymar and you've got a really bad hangover, it's like, oh, should I feel like this? I am the most expensive athlete in the history of sport. Should I be living like this? But it's his sister's birthday's coming up, isn't it? And he's always, oh, um, he's always available for that. Of course he is. Of course he is. It, it seems like a bit much, though, to engineer an absence for a Zoom, doesn't it? <laughs> I, I mean I, i'm on his side for this one i know a lot of people aren't on his side I, I'm, I'm on his side and um yeah, his, his dad did come out and, and and stick up for him didn't he and um say oh, i i blame it on the coach of Caen, who were the team he played against when he got injured I, i'm not quite sure how he managed that one right uh, pascal dupra uh blamed it on everyone really but i i agree with jules i've been making him play a midweek cup match in freezing cold Normandy on a rock hard pitch against a team who were clearly going to kick him. It was, it was only really going to yeah. end one way. Yeah. Couldn't he have just stayed on the treadmill or something? <laughs> <laughs> You're better than that, Potch. Come on. You're better than yeah. that. Can right. we just take a moment to talk about how pissed off Barcelona are about PSG being linked with Messi. Yes. Because I think that's really funny, <laughs> especially the way they kind of, you know, prize other players out of their teams. I've just got a got a theory on this right go on because it's obviously going to be very very difficult for any club to take Messi for, for all the financial reasons we've spoken about and all these these difficult things and I think PSG would obviously be in pole position for this because their fans have been ch- chanting something like let go of Messi thief, thief. Um, which obviously doesn't translate brilliantly but I think as of any time any club in the world has the opportunity to do this you can be Messi's next club if you can get him in a heist if you can heist Messi away from Barcelona, he's yours. Take him. Take him. Do it. So are we, are we talking about um, like throwing him in the back of a van that has got like graffiti about Colin Bell written on it? And then <laughs> like, 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 like putting, putting his legs in separate minis and his head in a separate mini and then just driving all those minis out of Barcelona? 
Yeah, sewing him back together, maybe later if, on. Yeah, I if mean... You, if, if you've not seen the original Italian Job Kids, <laughs> it's very much worth it. But yeah, I am um, like... Obviously, Barcelona are a very rich club themselves. They will put up an intricate security system that these clubs are going to have to get around. And I, I think it's the entertainment that we need right now. Yeah, I'm here for it. I'm, I'd watch it for sure. <laughs> um, all right, that is all from us. Um, nice to see you, Andy and Jim. Always good fun. Tomorrow, uh, Luke, Pete and Kate are going to be back. They will, of course, be dissecting tonight's Champions League games and loads more ramble fun. And we'll see you very soon. Thanks for listening. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the Acast Creative Network.